Great. Thank you. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day again. Man, moms are getting all kinds of, all kinds of love. Uh, you know what's interesting is this time of, um, I actually don't think I need that now. I have this thing. I didn't know this thing was coming. It's crazy. So when this thing comes, everything else submits to this thing, I guess. So um, one of the things about COVID has been that like my mom uh, watches from uh, just outside of Portland, Maine. So I get to say like, hey, mom, happy Mother's Day, mom, like live right now. So and uh, yes, so thankful for uh, moms and Mother's Day can be a really great day or a really hard day, can it? Um, for some who have lost their mom or have hard relationships with their mom or, um, or women who have uh, lost uh, babies along the way, like mom, Mother's Day is uh, either a really great celebration or a really difficult uh, day. So, um, so we're thankful for you. Uh, your work is not in vain. And uh, so thankful for the, the job that you are doing in, um, in mothering. So I'm going to read the uh, scripture passage for us this morning from Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to... 20, and then I'm going to pray, and then I'll uh, start, start into uh, the sermon. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So let's pray. God, thank you that you are a good God, that you lack in nothing, that you uh, love us in fatherly and motherly ways, that in you uh, is a perfect parent. And uh, thank you that you uh, loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus. And um, Jesus, thank you that your time here on earth was, was spent calling people to what Jojo just sang for us, calling us to something higher, to someone higher, someone eternal. And we pray this reality for our hearts this morning, that our hearts would be caught up into the divine story that you've been writing to showcase and display Jesus. We pray for the city, that you would bring an end to injustice that takes place in the city, that a human trafficking would stop, that exploitation would stop, that um, you would um, bring people out of, of poverty in, in every way, shape, and form, uh, we pray that, that your church would expand and grow, not, not just filling up rooms, but filling up the city with love and compassion and kindness and gentleness and the message of hope that you have put into us. We pray for moms today that, that moms would be uh, celebrated, that, that we would be, be able to identify and, um, and celebrate the work that you're doing in and through uh, these, these ladies. And uh, we thank you that you are a good God, and we ask that you would prepare our hearts the way that, that a farmer has to prepare soil, that you would prepare our hearts right now uh, for whatever it is that you want to put into uh, that soil and cause it to grow and to bear a lot of fruit. We love you and we need you. Amen. All right, so we're in the book of Mark. We're going to stick to these verses that I read uh, this morning. Um, but before we get to that, I want to ask you uh, about Apple. 
How many of you own an Apple product? I don't mean like an apple from a tree, but like an Apple product, you know, one of, one of these things, right? Yeah, like you, can, you can't really see it, but there lies a, a black apple inside of a black phone case. Anyway, so have any of you watched an Apple event, like the keynote event? Yes. Some say yes, some say no. Others are like, what's your point? Just get on with it, man. Um, so the, the idea behind an Apple event is always the same. It's always the same. No matter what, what time you watch it, they're always going to do the same things, right? And the first thing that they're going to do, and, and I would just say Steve Jobs did a better job than, than Tim Cook does in presentation, but nonetheless. The idea behind every keynote event is that they want to present attention. They want to help you have attention and see that there's a problem with your technology and really with your life, right? And then what they're going to do is they're going to announce a good, the good news. They're going to bring good news to you that, behold, your life is empty, but that's okay. We have good news for you in the form of an M1 chip now, right? We're bringing from on high this good news for you, and, and your life will now have value, meaning, and purpose. If you were to count the costs, it's for a mere 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, whatever it is, right? If you just count that cost, we're inviting you in to experience the good news for yourself. This is every single Apple keynote presentation, right? And yet we're always wowed by it. In fact, this is like the basic plot line to every story, right? Without tension, good news isn't really seen as good news. It's just seen as news, something new, right? If they didn't create a tension for us in these keynotes, it would be like, well, I mean, we have a new phone. It's like, yeah, but like, why is this good news? It's because your, your other phone didn't work as this new phone will work. And with Apple, it's funny because the good news is always bad news from their products, right? It's like, oh, we didn't do a great job with that, but don't worry. We've been working really hard, and we're now presenting this thing, right? And so in a, in a sense, this is what we're going, to, we're going to see in this text today. We're going to see tension. We're going to see good news announced. We're going to see the cost involved in experiencing that good news. And then we're going to see the invitation into it. Right? Do you actually want it? Is it, is it worth it? Because even with an, with an Apple product, it's like, is it worth it? Is it worth spending all that money because they made the color purple, right? I mean, that was one of their product highlights. It's like, purple's cool, but I don't know if that's going to cause me to get a new phone. So Mark chapter 1, if you have your Bible, you can open it. If you have a phone, there's this, this thing called applications. You can open up a version app of the Bible. Mark chapter 1, uh, Mark's in the New Testament. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Um, we're going to get right into the tension, Okay. So it says, now after John was arrested. The passage starts with, an, with, an, with a tension, with an arrest. So it's following up with the fact that Jesus has just been baptized. We saw that last week. That he was baptized in, in the wilderness. Well, he was baptized by John. Then he went out into the wilderness where he experienced temptation. If you want to hear about that sermon, you can, you can find that. It's on, we, we record all these and put them online. Um, but Jesus is, is coming back from the wilderness, and just as it seems like something significant might be starting with John and Jesus together, we find out that John was arrested. So this is kind of a big deal, because up to this point, John was preparing people for Jesus. He was the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord, because the one that we've been waiting for is coming. But now he's arrested. Why? Why did he get arrested? Well, we'll see this many weeks from now. 
But in Mark chapter 6, verse 17, John was out in the wilderness calling people to live life that was in line with the way of Jesus, the way of the kingdom of God. And how many of you love being told that you're living life wrong? You're like, oh, please tell me more of how wrong I'm living life. And that's kind of what John was doing. He's like, no, you're messed up and you're messed up and you're a brood of vipers and you're screwed up, but that's okay. There's good news. We can live in line with this. And there was a ruler who said, I don't want to hear this anymore. And he, he just had John the baptizer jailed. But what we quickly see in this text is that following Jesus is not safe. Being a proclaimer and declarer and follower of of Jesus isn't something that's safe. In fact, we're going to see in this text, and you could read church history as well, that following Jesus leads to lots of, of losses. Losses of freedoms. Losses of life. John the Baptist would actually lose his head for Jesus. Most of the apostles who were who were proclaiming and declaring Jesus, they ended up losing their heads as well. Following Jesus is not a safe thing. We saw last week as well this kind of Easter egg that Mark put in this this text in, in verse 13. It says he was with the wild animals. He was with the wild animals. And this was the idea that Mark is is encouraging these people living in the Roman Empire, that even if you're thrown to wild animals and devoured, don't give in to temptation. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is enough. Jesus has overcome, and he's the one that's worthy. And in fact, John, who was arrested, John didn't live for himself. Remember, he was the voice in the wilderness crying, prepare, the one who is worthy is coming. And in John, there's a book of John as well, written by a different John. It gets complicated, doesn't it? John, different John writes about John in this quote from John where he says, I need to decrease because he needs to increase. John the baptizer is essentially saying, my job is done. I'm all done. I'm getting out of the way because the one I've been preparing the way for is walking onto the scene. He's here. And when he's in prison, when he gets put in prison, he sends his disciples back to Jesus to say, please just let me know that you're the one that I was speaking about. And if you are, here's my neck. I'm glad to lose my head. I'm glad to move out of the way completely because my job was all about preparing things for him. See, there's a tension in this text right away, isn't there? The one that all the people of God had been going out to hear from, John, who was preparing them for Jesus, he's now in jail. And so what's the good news that's going to come? Remember that Apple, Apple event? There's tension. Here it is. It's created. What's that good news? Well, we find it in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. John was arrested, but Jesus, he came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. I just want to make a quick note here. Uh, If you're reading the book of Mark and you were to pay close attention, you will see that between Mark 1 and Mark chapter 10, that Jesus mostly hangs out in Galilee. Did that mean that Jesus was always in Galilee? No. But the way that Mark organizes his book is geographically, not linearly. So if you're looking for like, wait, if, if, if this happened, why did this happen in another text? Like, how do these all fit together? Well, each one of them organized their thoughts differently. They, they aren't submitting to the Western way of linear thinking, right? A 
plus B must equal C. It's like, yeah, yeah, we got A and C, and I like Y, so I put Y in there as well. But just so you know that this is, this is organized in this way. But I also think that Mark wanted to make a very important point for us. That Jesus starts in insignificant places. Galilee is insignificant, just like Nazareth. No one knew about it. It's a no-name town, backwoods town. Galilee's insignificant. These people that Jesus is going to encounter, insignificant. And so what Mark is saying is that you're not insignificant. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter what corner of the universe you're living in. You're not insignificant to him. He sees you. He knows you. He understands what's going on. He loves you. And we're going to see that more in a little bit. But as Jesus comes in to Galilee preaching, He's announcing what it says here, the gospel of God. And this is really a summary of Jesus' life and teaching. The gospel of God could be seen as a summary of Jesus' life and teaching. And it's composed of two things. And we see it here in, in verse 15. Jesus was preaching, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now you're like, man, I like Jesus' message more than Dwight's. Like Jesus was a lot shorter. This is a summary of Jesus' teaching. Right? Jesus wouldn't roll up and like tweet something out and then, and then bail. Right? Jesus would sit around and unpack this stuff for people. In fact, he at some points would preach all day long and teach all day long to people who actually wanted to hear it. But this is the content of Jesus' message. A time is fulfilled. That's the first thing. Essentially, Jesus is showing up on the scene saying, game on. The one that you've been waiting for, the one that was going to change everything, the one that was going to make every sad thing come untrue is here. The one that you've been waiting for is here. Galatians is a book in the New Testament. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, right? When the right time came, God was like, now. Some of you think God is too early, God is too late, but God is like Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. A wizard is never early, a wizard is never late, a wizard is always on time. God is always on time, right? He's never a moment too late, but we feel like he is because we don't see the bigger picture. We aren't wizards, are we? If you are, I don't, I don't know, maybe we should talk after, but, but we don't get to see the bigger picture, but Jesus is saying the time is here. Pay attention. Pay attention. Wake up. This is important. And here's the content. The kingdom of God is at hand. And in the person of Jesus, the kingdom of God makes full appearance. Right? If a prime minister or president or a world leader was to come into here, in a very sense, the, the kingdom of, the, the United Kingdom would be here in its fullness if the queen was here. Now, not not the fullness, really. Like, not all parts of it would be here, but she would represent something far greater. And in Jesus, the kingdom of God is on full display. In a personal appearance, we see the kingdom of God in Jesus. And what does that mean? Well, it means, number one, that God is reigning. That Jesus doesn't just show up to be like, well, like, what needs to be done here? I'll sweep some floors. I'll show you what it means to be nice and kind and gentle. No, Jesus is here to usher in the rule and reign. And just because he does it as a humble servant doesn't mean that it's any less powerful. That he is meek, which is not weak. Some people hear meekness and they think weakness, and that's just not true. Meekness is power under control. 
power under control. The reign of God is here. The Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, the promises are being fulfilled in Jesus. The promised spirit is, has descended into Jesus and is now working through Jesus. The already and not yet of the kingdom of God, it's kind of confusing. The kingdom of God has an already that it started, it's begun, that Jesus would cast out demons, he would, he would heal people, he would forgive people, but yet not everyone is experiencing that all the time. And so Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of God is going to look like, and you're going to get like the hors d'oeuvres now, but when I come back, I'm bringing the full buffet. And there's no more sickness, no more death, no more sadness, no more disease, no more COVID, no more any of that. Like all that is being put aside because I'm here in my fullness. That there's this already but not yet tension. You ever feel as if you're a follower of Jesus like, this isn't really where I belong, right? This, this, this feels like home but not completely. And some, some Christians can get into this escapism mentality that like this world is not my home. And I'd be like, ah, check your theology. I'm not sure about that. Um, I think it is your home. You're just going, it's going to be a new creation. It's going to be a restoration that when people ask, what's a new creation going to be like? I think it's going to be a lot like what we experience, like trees and birds and wolves. Like we're going to, I think we're going to get to cuddle wolves one day. Like I'm excited. Ride, ride wolves, ride timber wolves. It'll be amazing. But it'll look a lot like what we experience, but you won't be devoured by wolves. You won't be wearing masks. You won't have to live in fear. We won't have to be concerned because death will be done. It'll be over. That whole chapter of the fall of humanity is done. That new creation is coming. This is good news. This is what Jesus will be bringing when he comes back. The one that history has been longing for, right? Just... Just wrap your minds around this for a second. The one that history has been longing for is finally here. This is what Jesus has been saying. That the one you've been longing for is here. The one who's going to change the world for all time is here. But what's the cost of changing the world? Right? If you want to change the world, you, you can't just sit around. Right? It's going to cost you something. If you think you're going to change the world or change an aspect of the world... Buckle up, right? Because your life is going to be very bumpy. It's going to be very hard. You're going to experience lots of difficulties and pushback. Because changing the world is costly. And yet this is exactly what Jesus came to do. Listen to this. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And here's the cost. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. There are three aspects to that little phrase. Each, each piece of Mark is like, has a big drop-down menu to it. Each word and phrase is very powerful, and we can't look at each one. But we start with the gospel. What is the gospel? It's a good news of, of who Jesus is and what he did and what he's doing. That our story that we're, we're a part of is that you and I have messed up. I've never met anyone who's like, no, I'm perfect, right? Those would probably be the same people who think they're wizards. I'm the perfect wizard. It's like, no, you're not. Sorry shattering your world on Mother's Day. Perfect wizard doesn't exist, right? But that idea that we're messed up, there are things that are either broken, bent, or um, just off base. Like we think things that we don't want to think. We do things that we don't want to do. We don't do the things that we, we want to do. I mean, 
All you need to try and do is be like, I'm going to try and get up early. I'm going to try and get up at, let's say, 7. Okay, we'll set the bar real low. Okay, maybe 8, okay? Let's call 8 early. I'm going to try and get up at 8 every day. It's like, at some point, you'll mess up. And it's like, dang it, I can't even keep to that, right? You and I, are, we're morally imperfect. We're morally bent away from God. And what Jesus did was he came into the world to say, I'm, I'm the only one that's not morally unbent. How do you say that? I'm the only perfect one. I'm the only one perfectly focused on what I'm supposed to be focused on. And I'm coming to do something that you can't do for yourselves. I'm coming to take your place and to die in your place. And I will take on your sin and your rebellion so that you can take on my likeness. That you can take on my righteousness. That you can be part of the family of God because of me. And then Jesus rises from the dead showing us that that, that is true. That that's the gospel, that's the good news. And the good news is that you're invited into that to participate. You don't just hear that and you're like, oh, that's good news. You know, you get to participate in that. You get to feel that. That you get to participate in God pushing back darkness and lies in this world as his people bring the truth of who he is and what he's done. So the cost for Jesus to bring good news costs him his life. And the cost for us to... to to follow him is our life. We downplay that. We try and play with this. Oh no, if you'll just sign this card, I believe in this, then you'll be part of the kingdom of God. We downplay the fact that this is going to cost you everything. This means renouncing your citizenship. Now I'm a dual citizen. And at one point, uh, I thought about renouncing my U.S. citizenship for tax purposes, but then stimulus came along, and I'm like, I'll hold on to that for a little while longer, right? Like, that's been very, that's been very helpful. Um, but it's the idea that if you're going to belong to the kingdom of God, this is a renunciation of your citizenship, that you no longer belong to that land. You do not give your allegiance to that prime minister, to that president, to that queen, to that worldview. Your new allegiance is to King Jesus and everything he's about. And every other world leader is going to fail you. Right? I mean, we're in the midst of COVID. We're in the midst of like having to evaluate rules and regulations. And I don't agree with this. Oh, I do agree with this. And there's like this back and forth between people who, who no, none of us have power to do anything about it. We're just like, I don't like this. It's like, shut up, wear your mask. Like, all right, fine. Right? And it's like, we can't do anything. But there's, but there's this better, there's this better ruler. A ruler that sees everything, that does what is good, right, and true all the time. And he says, come on into my kingdom. Come into my kingdom. And here's how we get into that kingdom. That we believe. We believe. Believe isn't like intellectual adherence. Like, oh yes, I believe that. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's not that. Believing is getting out of the boat. Or getting into the boat. Whichever way you want to look at it. So there's this story about Jesus and Peter. And they're out in the water and this, the disciples see someone and they're like, oh, we think it's a ghost, crazy. It's, there's someone there. And they're like, oh, no, it's Jesus. And it says they became fearful, actually. Because they're, they're like, we didn't know you walked on water. Like, this is wild. <laughs> it's like, what other tricks do you have? And then Peter says, hey, if it's you, right? I mean, this is like setting the bar really high. You know, he could have been like, if it's you, Lord, uh, you know, tell me, tell me what you got me for my birthday last time or whatever. 
But he's like, if it's you, Lord, tell me to walk on water. He says, all right, get out of the boat. That's belief. I'm going to get out of the boat into what appears in this moment to be crazy, but it's not crazy because Jesus is the one leading it. Without Jesus, a lot of the things that we believe seem crazy. Paul said this too. He said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you're all nuts. (laughs) You're all just, you're all crazy. But if he did get up from the dead, well, then we have to do something with that. That's belief. Swallowing the pill. Right? Jesus said, if you're going to be my follower, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he wasn't saying like, yeah, yeah, my thigh tastes really good. Like take a chunk out and you come over here and get my calf. It's a little fatty. Right? It wasn't that. Jesus was telling them, following me, believing in me is going to be like eating. Because when we eat something, we lose control over what happens. And when we eat Jesus, when we take him in, we're saying, I'm not in control anymore. I'm not the one that, that, is, that is ruling everything at this moment. I have given all my allegiance to you. You are the captain of my ship. You are the, the, the steerer of my soul. You are the one of my eternal destiny. And then repentance is changing one's direction. Repentance isn't just stop. Just stop doing that. No, no, no. Repentance is changing course completely. And replacing. You can't, you can't just stop going that way. You have to replace it with going a different way. Right? So it's you don't go that way anymore. You now go this way. That no longer do you live in the ways of, of this world. You live in the way of the kingdom of God. You see, following Jesus isn't adherence to a list of rules and regulations. Christianity isn't about like getting your do to do and to don't list right. It's attachment to a person. Do you get that? It's attachment to a person that you are invited into a real visceral relationship with a God who is personal and wants to attach himself to you. He came down the mountain. He wasn't saying whoever can make it up the mountain, I will call you children. No, no, no. He comes down the mountain because none of you would make it. It's, it's harder than Everest. None of you would make it. So I came down the mountain for you. See, what I love about attachment to Jesus is that there's no more goodbyes with him. There's no more goodbyes. Uh, Today is my wife's and I, our wedding anniversary, right? 12 years. And I remember 12 years ago, yeah, I'm, yes, please clap. Thank you so much. Yes, we made it, 12 years. We kept four kids alive. It's going really well. Um, but I remember yesterday, 12 years ago, and I remember talking to Jess on the phone and saying, tomorrow we don't have to say goodbye anymore. There's no more goodbyes. And this is what it's like with, with Jesus. When we enter into his kingdom, there's no more goodbyes. That he attaches himself to us. He puts his spirit into us. And he's going to change us to be just like him. All right, so we've had the tension, right? There's tension to this. Following Jesus isn't safe. We've had the announcement that there's good news. We've had the cost. It's going to cost you your life, but it costs Jesus his life, and you can actually find your life in him. And then we get to the invitation. This is where it actually starts moving. This is where Jesus' ministry takes off. Here we go. Mark 1, verse 16. 
Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And it's not just men, but both men and women. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boats, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Sometimes we read these texts and we're just like, oh, okay, yeah, that's good. Like, no big deal. Of course they followed Jesus. Like, this is a really big deal. It's like we just blow by these narratives like, oh, yeah, sure. These, this is massive. Absolutely massive. And there are three things that, that happened here. One is that Jesus saw them. Jesus wasn't walking by being like, I hope they notice me. I hope they notice my glory, glorious robe or something. Like, remember, Jesus was very normal. There was nothing spectacular about him if you saw him. But Jesus saw them. Jesus saw these four guys, and he knew their current situation. He knew that they were fishermen and that they were businessmen. Um, you could not be a fisherman at that time in the Sea of Galilee area and not be a shrewd businessman because there was lots of competition for your fish. Uh, people in Alexandria wanted them. People in Antioch wanted them. Like, people delighted in that. It's like, I'm from Maine. Lobsters are huge in Maine. We would buy them, like, off the docks. Like, lobster boats come in. You buy them from the guys for, like, beer money. It's just extra, basically, for them, right? That's the best. That's what fish in the Sea of Galilee were like. They were the best in, some of the best in the world. And so these guys all belonged to a family business. James and John with their dad and Simon and Andrew with themselves, maybe with their dad. But here's the thing. They might not have wanted to be fishermen. They might not have wanted to, to cast nets with their lives. Maybe they wanted to do something more. And most young Jewish men wanted to be like rabbis when they grew up. They wanted to be the ones that were teaching and proclaiming the Torah, the, the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and helping the people of God to come in line. They wanted to be in what we would say ministry, vocational ministry. And what would happen is that if you were a little boy, like once you hit 13, you would come up to a, a rabbi, you would present yourself, and they would say, recite to me Leviticus, the third book in, in the Torah. And it's like, you would recite that. And if you made a mistake, or they didn't like your accent, or they didn't like anything, they're like, oh, no, you're not going to be my disciple. I'm moving you out of the way. And so there's a very good chance that these four guys were just coming off of disappointment. We thought that Torah proclamation was going to be our thing, teaching was going to be our thing, but instead, we're fishermen. I don't know that to be absolutely true, but there's a very good chance that that's the case. And they were probably teenagers. I know some of you watched The Chosen. Really helpful um, in, in, in thinking about what, what this could have looked like. It's a, it's a mini-series. or actually going to be seven seasons, I think. Um, but the one thing that I still think they're getting wrong is that they, they make the disciples to be too old. I think that these disciples were teenagers. There's lots of good evidence for that. And probably the oldest one was Simon. He was married. So he could have been 18 to 20. But the rest of them think more like 12 to 17-year-olds. So when we think that these guys, think about like a 14-year-old out casting nets, learning how to do this, right? Just taking on what their future was going to be. And do you know who comes along? Jesus. Jesus sees this youth group. 
Now, in churches, we typically take the youth, we put them all together and like put them in a different room. Because if, if we're honest, we're like, oh, you're just youth. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to change the world through a youth group. I'm going to invest my life in a youth group. And they're going to be the ones that leave everything to follow me. Because Jesus, when he saw them, he didn't see fishermen, 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 fishermen. Fine. I like fish. You can come with me. He saw the potential of what they'll become with his investment into them. It's this prophetic seeing that Jesus had. He saw past where they're at right now and what they could become with his investment. And here's the thing. Jesus sees you now too. You might see all your failures or all your successes and define your life by that. You might have an idea of what you think life should be like and you give yourself an identity based on that and Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're missing out. You're missing out. I see you and what I can do in you and it's so much greater than what you can fathom and it's not all about you. It's not about you getting a platform and people coming and wowing over you. It's about me and I'm gonna work in you so that I am glorious and I am famous and that every man, woman, and child would know that I am the king of all kings sent for you to die in your place and come to life again so that we can have hope. Right? This is, this is what Jesus sees in people. Jesus sees them. And then he calls them, secondly, follow me. Follow me. And this is an explicit summons. You have to hear this. This call to follow me is an explicit summons away from vocation. In their, in their mind, they're going to be fishermen. Jesus is saying, leave your nets. This means mid-shift at the, at the bank. Mid-shift at the bank, you're like, I'm out, right? Mid-class at university, I'm out of here, right? Middle of pulling someone over if you're a police officer, like, I gotta go, right? I mean, this is, this is what Jesus does, he enters into people's idea of what life was going to be and he calls them away from that to him. It doesn't mean he's going to do that. You could be a police officer. You could be um, a designer. You could be whatever to his glory, for his fame. But sometimes he calls you away from that. Sometimes he calls you away from family. James and John here were told to leave their dad. Come with me. Leave your dad. They leave him in the boat. Culturally, that was probably inappropriate. But Jesus doesn't live for cultural standards. Jesus has his father's plans with the spirit's power behind him, and that's all he cares about. So leave your dad in the boat. He'll be fine. He has hired servants. Come follow me. This was a call away from resources and security. How could I leave my job? My dad has a lot of money. We, we've put a lot into these boats. We have all these resources. It's okay. My dad has everything. In fact, my dad, your stuff of your dad is actually my dad's. <laughs> my dad's bigger than your dad. Right? Those are fun things on the playground to watch, right? My dad's better than your dad. That's right. That's right. So this is an explicit call away from vocation, from family, from resource into, into him. That Jesus was the unlikely rabbi who instead of waiting for people to come to him, Jesus went to them. Jesus goes to these teenage boys and says, come, follow me. 
come follow me, I will make you become fishers of men and women. But they had to weigh out the cost. Is this worth it? Who is this guy? (laughs) Who is this guy? Is he actually going to come through? Right? We're made promises every day by people. If you just call this number, if you just click this link, if you just send us your sin number, if you just like, if you just whatever, we have this lovely plan for your life, or we're going to deposit all this money. Is that actually real, or am I being scammed? Is Jesus a scammer? Right? This is what they had to decide. Is he going to be worth it to say no to all these things? Because they knew that it couldn't be a half-hearted follow. This couldn't be like an Amazon Costco thing where you can get an Amazon package, you can like try the thing out, you can wear the dress, you can whatever, for a certain amount of time, they'd be like, ah, you know what, I'm just going to send it back. I mean, we have great policies like that, right? But that's not Jesus. Jesus isn't saying, you can't just try me for a little bit. You, You have to eat me. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. You have to take me on in that way. We try and do this with Jesus. We like to follow in some areas, but not all areas. But this is a call to burn the ships. Right? Who was that? Was it Cortez? I don't know if this story is true or not, but when they they sail from from, uh, Spain or Portugal, one of those two, and they came over to, to the new land. I'm not advocating Cortez's leadership style, but when he brought all the people back um, or brought them to the new land, he heard murmurings that they were going to get on the boats and head back. And so he burns the ships. He's like, no way. Like, we're, we're here. We're not going back there. In a sense, this is what the call is to Jesus. Like, follow me and burn the ships. Everything you've been looking for in Jesus or everything you've been looking for in this world is, is only found in him. Your idea of what Jesus might be will be disappointed, but you'll never be disappointed with real Jesus. Do you understand the difference? Be disappointed with, with who we think he is, but you'll never be disappointed with who he really is. Now, if Jesus were to come into this room right now and say, follow me right now, what's your objection? You don't need to say it, but what's your objection? Well, I can't go right now. Like, I have a mortgage I can't go. Like, my friends are depending on me. They're waiting for me. I, I, can't, I can't follow you right now because I have this plan for life. And I, once I fulfill that, then I'll be ready to follow you. It's like, oh, you, you missed the, the summons. You missed what Jesus was actually offering you. You thought those things were, were going to lead to your value, meaning, and purpose. But Jesus is offering to you actually will. It'll never fail and will never fade. And do you know what they do? Jesus sees them, he calls them, and then they, they actually leave. They get up, they drop their nets. I just find that fascinating. Like, they don't even, like, try and, you know, figure out how do we, how do we sell this on Marketplace before we leave. Like, no, they just, they just drop them, and they're gone. They embrace the kingdom of God plans for their lives above their own. Now, this is really important. Because sometimes we think that we need to line everything up about who Jesus is before we can follow him. So here's a series of questions. Did they doubt? Yes. These guys who dropped their nets, they had lots of doubts. Even after Jesus rose from the dead and met them back in Galilee, they had doubts. It said they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
Following Jesus doesn't mean that you're never going to have any doubts. Was it difficult following Jesus? Yes. In fact, his, his apostles all died for it. John, who wrote the book of John, John, not John the Baptist, other John, um, they tried to kill him. Church history says they tried to kill him over and over and over and they couldn't. You put him in a boiling pot of water and he doesn't die. It's like, what do you do with him? Well, just put him on an island. So they put him on the island of Patmos and he wrote Revelation, Apocalypse, right? But it cost them their lives. It cost them their reputations. It cost them friendships. It cost them community. But they wanted Jesus more than anything else because they knew that they had no one else to go to. Jesus actually asked them. There were lots of people leaving after one of his teachings. They were leaving, saying, I don't want anything to do with this Jesus. And he looked at his disciples and he says, do you want to leave too? And Simon looks at Jesus and says, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Even though Peter still doubted at times, he said, where else are we going to go? You're everything we're looking for. And Jesus would make them become, that word's important, become fishers of men and women. And how did he do that? He said, follow me. Take company with me. Be with me. You see, so much of our discipleship within the church is, oh, here, read a book. Read a book. Read a book. Watch this thing. And it's void of, of personal relationship, of doing this with one another. We lose out on, on, on opportunities to show people what it looks like to do these things because we think that just information trans, transference is what we need. But transformation often comes by seeing they would become fishers of men by watching Jesus, being with Jesus. And then after Jesus rose from the dead, he sent his spirit to dwell inside of all of his people and they would become just like Jesus. And one day, there's a day of Pentecost, it's called. The book of Acts tells of Peter throwing a proverbial net, not a real net, but a proverbial net out to a crowd. And that day, 3,000 people became followers of Jesus. They became fishers of men and women on that day. And you know what? The church has continued to grow just like that. Through normal, ordinary people of God filled with the Spirit of God, telling and showing what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. You know how Montreal is going to be reached? Through you. Through you. Not by bringing people here to hear from me. No, the Spirit of God, the same one that lived in Jesus, lives in me, lives in you if you're a follower of Jesus. And through your changed life and the way that Jesus keeps transforming you and through your testimony, right? Think about a court. If you're on trial, if someone's on trial and your testimony is this is who Jesus is and this is what he's done, the Spirit of God loves to use that to open up people's eyes and hearts and ears to understand who Jesus is. It's quite astounding. But here's, here's the thing. We're beloved children that are invited to be co-laborers in his world to announce that hope is here. Hope is here. Let me end with a, with a few questions and I'm going to invite uh, Vidya to come and share uh, her story. First question is, are you, are you disappointed with Jesus? Are you disappointed with him? Are you disappointed with the idea that you had 
of what Jesus was going to be like. Because you're invited this morning to look back at Jesus. To look at the one who is, who is worthy and perfect, who sees you, who came for you. Let him reorder and rearrange your thoughts about who he is. The second question is, what holds you back from following Jesus with reckless abandon? What is that thing? Don't, don't wait for me to give you an answer. Don't, you don't have to answer now. But what's the thing that holds you back from Jesus coming into the room being like, I want you to go with me. We're, we're leaving. Come follow me. What is that thing that you're like, I can't leave because of this. I need to hold on to this. Going back to Lord of the Rings, what is that, that precious, my precious, that you hold on to? Because my precious will end up destroying you. Look at Gollum, right? Gollum, the ring destroyed him because he held on to something that he couldn't actually hold on to and it, and it took control of him. What's your precious? The Lord wants to release you from that. And then how are you seeing Jesus change you to become more like him?